Welcome to JHE Ministries Bible Study. Last time we started working on the book of James and we just started breaking the surface with a little bit of the background of James and who James was as an author. This time we're actually going to dig right in to the scriptures beginning with the first chapter of James. We're going to start unpacking what James has written and we'll look at its meaning. And I'm going to begin with reading a little bit of the first chapter of James. Now keep in mind, I know many of our listeners will have different versions of the Bible, and that's okay. As we unpack this and we start discovering the meaning of a lot of this, you'll be able to relate that to your own scriptures, whether they're a little different or not. So let's go ahead and jump right into this. Chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives it to all liberally, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now I want to stop right there for just a little bit. And let's back up with verse 1 again. In the ancient Near East, when they wrote letters, they always started with who wrote the letter first, and then they addressed who they were writing to, and then they had the greeting, as where it's kind of just the opposite as we know of today, where we address who we're talking to, we have a greeting, and then we sign who we are as the writer of it. But James, in his letter, as he starts out, says he's a bondservant, and that is one that is bound to service without pay. A bondservant is the rightful property of one's master, a slave, if you will. But the word slave here doesn't carry the degrading meaning attached to the word that we know and use of today. Now James is writing to Christian Jews. We know this because he uses the words brethren or brothers. After the briefest of greeting, James gets right into why he's writing the letter. James realizes that these Jewish believers that weren't the residents of Palestine, but they were scattered everywhere outside of the land of Israel, were undergoing severe testing of their faith. And James begins by telling them how they must meet temptation. And James tries to encourage and comfort them. Now, these people were probably members of the Jerusalem church who had been driven out of Jerusalem at the time of Stephen's martyrdom. If so, then James had formerly been their spiritual leader, and he was writing to them with rightful spiritual authority. And James had full knowledge of their needs. Now, in verse 2, we start with how we deal with temptation. And in fact, in verses 2 through 4, James explains that trials are a reason for rejoicing because of the wholesome effects they produce. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Now, this is an interesting statement. Now, we usually count it all joy when we escape temptation and sorrow. But let's define trials for a moment. Trials 
can be described as things that put a person to the test. Now, they may be difficulties that come from without persecution, or they may be an inner moral test, such as temptation to sin. But James says, consider it a joy when we are faced with temptations. Why must we count it a joy then? Well, it's not because of the trial itself. It's because of what it will work out. Now, take notice that Scripture doesn't say if we face trials or that we might face trials. James says that we will have trials. It's it's inevitable. Now, James mentions face trials, and let's take a look at the word face briefly. Face suggests that one is surrounded by people, objects, or circumstances that will try one's faith. Now, we can have several attitudes towards trials. The first attitude that we can have is we rebel against them and be defiant. Or we can boast to battle them on our own. We can lose heart and give up. We can always complain and grumble. We can have self-pity and get sympathy. Or we can rejoice that God has allowed us this trial for a good purpose. And it's because God loves us that we have trials. Trials are friends, if you will, to build Christ-like behavior. Temptations called holy trials are problems sent by God to test our faith and to grow to be more like Christ. So we should count a testing as a glorious opportunity to prove our faith. Whether they be a persecution, a sickness, or a suffering of one kind or the other, perseverance proves our faith and helps build us into the kind of person that Christ came to make us. Use them. Use them to make yourself better. Now remember this. Trials teach perseverance, and perseverance brings maturity and completeness. Now as we get in to verse 3, actually verses 3 and 4, will be trials to teach perseverance is what we'll be talking about. And in verse 3, the testing of faith is to see if it is genuine. Because through problems, we will show true faith. Without problems, we can't build endurance or perseverance. So perseverance in times of suffering is the ability to go on. If a person has true faith, those trials are capable of developing perseverance. Now the word perseverance denotes a tenacity, a stick-to-it attitude. It's the quality that enables a person to stand on one's feet and face the storm. God uses our trials to give us blessings. Too often our trials result in our impatience, but God will give us grace so that his real purpose will be accomplished. And struggling against difficulty and opposition, spiritual stamina is developed. In verse 4, we start to take a look at how perseverance brings maturity and completeness. If perseverance is to finish its work, faith must persist, uh, persist, and it must not falter, nor must it give up. The goal 
in view is that believers may be mature and complete. We are just poor sinners saved by grace. But spiritual maturity is our ultimate goal. Christ's purpose for our lives is that we will be perfect and complete and we will want nothing. Patience is necessary more than anything else in our faith life. Remember that. A fast-paced life where things can be done by flipping a switch or pushing the button. But this secular world has been detrimental to Christian living because it has taken out one of the most fundamental parts of Christian living, and that is patience. We live in a now society, if you will. Everything has to be done now. But spiritual maturity just can't happen. It just can't happen now. It has to take time to develop in us. And that is why we need to pray for God's help in making us more patient. We forget that time is nothing to God. For him, a thousand years is one day, and one day is a thousand years. Which that reminds me of a joke. A man walked to the top of a hill to talk to God, and the man asked God, what's a million years to you? And God said, well, it's a minute to me. Then the man asked, well, what's a million dollars to you? And God said, to me, it's just a penny. Then the man asked, God, can I have a penny? And God said, well, sure, in a minute. So basically, we need to understand that everything is in God's timing and not ours. And we have to learn patience and trust. Not always easy, but it's something that must be done. And this is important to learn because some problems will take longer than others. And we need to submit to God's will and find his peace. Persevering in facing trials develops maturity of character and a balance of all the graces and the strengths that's needed for the Christian life. And that's leading us into verse 5, wisdom and prayer. In fact, verses 5 through eight, contain God's offer of help for those who are facing trials. The repetition of the word lack that James uses shows that James is still discussing the subject of trials. It's hard to behave wisely, but God's wisdom will help you do it. James speaks of the period of testing before perseverance has completed its work. During such testing, if anyone lacks wisdom, they may have it by asking. Pray for wisdom to behave wisely in all your times of trouble. People facing trials often do lack wisdom. See, wisdom is God-given understanding that enables a person to avoid the paths of wickedness and to live a life of righteousness. And in this context, wisdom is understanding the nature and the purpose of trials and knowing how to meet them victoriously. Such wisdom is available to the one who will ask for it. Let me repeat that. Wisdom is available to the one who will ask for it. Not just once, but repeatedly. This God has promised that wisdom will be given. And he'll give it to you if you ask. 
And take notes as you read the teaching on wisdom in this short letter. Study and meditate on it. When you are wronged and insulted, ask God how you should act, what you should do. When you lack wisdom, you don't just sit down and think or study, but you ask God because wisdom that we need comes from only God. Wisdom gives sound, sound judgment about the practical things of daily life in all its phases so that we can live in all things as Christians should. Prayer helps to attain such wisdom. And this letter of James's begins and ends with an exhortation to prayer. James, we've talked to or talked about, was a huge advocate of prayer. Tradition said that James spent so much time in prayer that his knees became so callous they were like a camel's. So prayer is an extremely important tool in our lives. It is hard to behave wisely, but God's wisdom will help you to do it. Rely on God's wisdom, because true wisdom, again, comes from God. Think about the craziness going on in the world today. People are literally godless, are trying to tell us how to think, how to walk, how to act, what to do. They're trying to convince the world that there are more than two genders, first of all. They're confused on which bathroom to use. And there's a ton of examples we can use. But the point is that these godless people do not have wisdom. Because in order to have wisdom, you have to be a follower of God. Now, getting into verse 6, and in verses 6, 7, and 8, we're going to get into faith. In verse 6, although nothing in God prevents him from giving wisdom to his people, but the, a barrier may exist, unwavering faith that stands sure and undisturbed, is what you have to have to weather all the storms of life. And faith is the condition of effective prayer. And we've said this over and over, and it's worth repeating again. God's wisdom comes through prayer. And let me point out one very strong point when it comes to prayer. Ask with no doubt, but always ask with and in Faith, that's very important. You must have faith. When you ask in prayer, you must believe. And to believe is to be confident that God will give what is requested, as long as it's according to his will. But be confident that he'll answer that request. You have to believe in that. A confidence is the complete opposite of doubt, obviously, because doubt can be described as one who is divided in the mind, who wavers between two opinions. One moment, he will voice yes of faith. And in the next moment, it'll be no or disbelief. If you doubt, you have no stability to face trials. Without stability, you would be tossed back and forth like a kite in the wind, or as James talks about being in a boat in a storm and the wind tossing the boat around. If you have doubt, you have no stability to face trials. You can't do it. 
Without stability, you'd be tossed back and forth. Well, we can't ask God to answer a prayer if we have doubts. If we have doubts that he can't even do it in the first place, we can't ask God, we can't expect God to answer that prayer. But know this, know that God can answer your prayer. And by the way, there isn't anything God can't do. So let's just be clear on that. And finally, all things are possible to them who believe. You have to have faith, you have to ask in faith, and you have to trust that God will answer your prayer. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for now. It was great to start unpacking the first few verses of James. This is not a race, it's a marathon, so it may take a while to get through the book of James. And that's okay, because what's important is meditating and understand the information a little bit at a time. Not only understanding it, but applying it to our lives and allowing it to work in our lives, to do what the scriptures say. So next time we'll pick up from here and we'll continue with the book of James as we get into the riches and the perspective of rich and poor. Thanks for listening. Until next time, God bless and keep living Christian strong.